0: but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Let me ask this question. Um, How many of you here are ready for Thanksgiving? five of you. That's awesome. That's so good. Yeah, it kind of sneaks up on you, doesn't it? Uh, This Thursday is Thanksgiving. And so in order to get us ready for Thanksgiving and possibly make you feel better about this upcoming Thanksgiving, I want to share with you a couple Thanksgiving fails that I saw this week on the internet. The first one is this one, uh, in which they were trying to, what's it called? Fry a turkey, right? Is that what they're deep-fried turkey. I'm guessing it was a frozen turkey and it turned into a bomb, which is uh, a great Thanksgiving. But what I love most about this picture, if you notice, is these children are running away in horror. This, these women are turned away. And all of the dudes in the picture are like, that's kind of cool. I kind of like that. That's kind of cool. So, so that's the first Thanksgiving fail that I really enjoyed. And then um, maybe you've heard of Black Friday, right? This was Black Thursday. I don't. Oh my goodness! That's so bad. What do you do in that situation? Chinese takeout? I don't know. But so that's Black Thursday. The next one is why uh, we have Thanksgiving pies and not Thanksgiving cakes. This is a a cake of a turkey, which uh, I think only someone would eat if they lost a bet. And then the final one up here uh, is one that I just I could not stop laughing when I saw. I do not know how you get flames like that to come out of an oven. I do it with a grill all the time, uh, but this is, this is out of an oven. And so those are some Thanksgiving fails that hopefully you do not repeat this year. Um, but I would say that, that the greatest Thanksgiving fails have nothing to do with food. The greatest Thanksgiving fails has everything to do with our hearts. The greatest Thanksgiving fails are when we are not thankful for all the good things that God has given to us. I don't know about you, but but my Thanksgiving is always pretty crazy every year. My family gets together, and uh, you know, you get there, and there's happiness, and there's joy, and there's laughter, and there's delight. And then a few days go by, and that laughter and joy turns into yelling, and fighting, and crying, and accusations of cheating at spades, and all of these things. And you can cut the, the bitterness of a broken family with a knife. And so very quickly, it goes from Thanksgiving to something way less than giving thanks in our hearts. You know, I think it is telling, I think it is telling that we have to have a holiday called Thanksgiving. I mean, why is it that we need to be reminded to give thanks? It's because we are, in large, a pretty unthankful people. We are an entitled people. We are often a bitter people and a crabby people and not a thankful people. And so to prevent the greatest thanksgiving fail of all, to prevent an unthankful heart... We want to today look at Colossians chapter one. If you would please open up to page 928 in the Red Bible, Colossians chapter one. And there are many passages in the scriptures that call us to thanksgiving. Uh, But in this passage, uh, we will read of how the Apostle Paul overflows with thanksgiving. And it is a reminder to us this Thanksgiving week that Christians... Christians should be the most thankful people in the entire world. And so this passage unlocks for us the secret of being thankful no matter what our situation is here on this earth. So let's look together. Colossians chapter 1, verse 1 through 8. This is God's word. Of this you have heard before and the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing. As it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we come today confessing that instead of believing and understanding that we deserve nothing good, and you have given us everything that is good, that instead of Knowing and believing that we reverse the truth and we believe that we deserve everything good and you have given us nothing good. We're so focused on the things that we don't have that we think we deserve. That we forget the million things we do have that we don't deserve. Because of this, Lord, we have been unthankful bitter, and angry. And so, Lord, we pray for the grace of your Holy Spirit through your word to give us a heart of thanksgiving that overflows today, this week, and for all eternity. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Did you know that in the Bible, God does not recommend that you be thankful? He doesn't recommend it because he commands it. It is a command of God for you and me to be thankful. So I'm curious, would you consider yourself a thankful person? Maybe what is more telling is would those closest to you, your family members, consider you a thankful person? And this passage is the key to unlocking a thankful heart in all times and in all situations. And so want to encourage you, even if you are not normally a note taker, this might be a good opportunity to take notes and to put this on the refrigerator to remind you of how to have a thankful heart. But also, if you are having people over for Thanksgiving, I think it's going to provide a really good conversation about what it means and how we can be thankful no matter what what the situation is in our life. So I wanna answer three questions today. Uh, Who should we give thanks to? What should we give thanks for? And why should we give thanks now? So who, what, and why? First, who should we give thanks to? Look at verse three with me. The Apostle Paul says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you or pray for you all, that is those in the church. And so here you see what Paul is thankful for. Paul is thankful for the Christians in the church at Colossae. Uh, what is so interesting about this is that Paul has never been to Colossae. He probably does not know many of these Christians or maybe any of these Christians at all. And yet he is thankful for the Christians there. And so Paul is thankful for the saints in Colossae. But what is even more important is that he is thankful to God. He's thankful for the saints, but he is thankful to God. That's why he says we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I have shared this with you before. It's one of the few things that that a lot of people remember in our congregation other than illustrations. Uh, but, But when I was first studying this passage many years ago, I heard a sermon that said that in, uh, that the Apostle Paul, who wrote this book of Colossians, never in the Bible thanks another person. That, that they always thank God, that Paul always thanks God for another person. I was skeptical of this. And so I pulled out my Bible software and I typed in the word thankful. And sure enough, as you look through all the letters of Paul, what you find out is that Paul never thanks a person. He always thanks God for a person. I was curious, so I expanded that search to the whole New Testament. Do people thank other people in the, in the New Testament? You search the Bible, no one thanks another person. I know this seems strange. So then I'm like, okay, let me expand it to the whole Bible. And as I look through it, what I saw is that there is never an instant in the Bible in which a person thanks another person person. Now, it may exist, okay? And I just did not see it. But in my search, I never saw a spot where an individual thanks another person. But rather, they're always thanking God. They're always thanking the heavenly Father. Even Jesus thanks the Father. Even in Isaiah 38, it tells us that Sheol, the realm of the dead, does not thank God. God. And so so one of the attributes of hell is there is no thanksgiving to God. Now, whether this, again, is 100% consistent in scripture or not, I am not positive, but this search alone reveals something very, very important. It reveals that for all things, we must thank God first and foremost. As you may know, last week I wasn't here. David did a great job uh, with like an hour notice coming up and and preaching. It was wonderful. But but I had woken up probably around 5.30 in the morning um, and uh, don't want to give too many details, but felt sick. My back was hurting, ended up passing out for a few seconds and then woke up and was nauseous. And so I went to bed and my dear wife Uh, Took very good care of me. Uh, I asked her to get me a heated up rice sock, and so she went and heated it up, and I put it on my back, which provided some relief. And then I told her I felt nauseous, and so she went and got a bucket and brought it to me for obvious reasons. And then when I was finally able to get up and start watching the service online, she brought me some chicken noodle soup. And every time she did these things, I was like, Trish, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for doing this, Trish. Thank you for doing this. And I don't think it's wrong to thank someone. But I think it can be incomplete if that's where the Thanksgiving ends. And so maybe even it's more appropriate for me to say, Trish, I thank God for your generosity. I thank God that you can stitch together a rice sock. I thank God that you can make chicken noodle soup. I thank God that you're so tender and compassionate for me. And so so I don't think it's necessarily wrong to say, hey, thank you for doing this. But if that's where our heart stops, then our thanksgiving is incomplete. Because every good and perfect gift comes from who? It comes from God. And so even if we thank a person, it must go through that person to God. And we must give thanks to God. I think this is the reason why many of us feel uncomfortable when someone gushes over us. When someone thanks us profusely for someone, it just feels awkward, it feels weird, it feels strange because our soul knows that we should not be the end of the thanksgiving, but that thanksgiving should go through us to God. And so I want to give you this encouragement, this challenge, this thanksgiving is to change your language when you are around your family. Instead of saying, Joe, thank you for making the turkey, to say, Joe, I thank God that he has given you the skills to make a delicious turkey, all right? Instead of saying, Mom, thank you for always being there for me, saying, Mom, I thank God that he has given you to me to be my mother. Instead of saying, hey, thank you for this gift, say, I thank God for your generosity. And so see if you can change that language. And then what you do in that moment is you are, uh, you are completing the finality of that thanksgiving. You are going to the ultimate source of every good and perfect gift. And so the question is, who should we give thanks to? We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The second question is this, what should we give thanks for? In Ephesians 5, verse 18 through 20, it says this. It says, Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we are told here that we are to give thanks for all things. I think that's all good things, even the good things that come out of bad things, And we are to give thanks always. You know, we are very good at giving thanks for visible things. We give thanks for our house, for our family, uh, for a new pair of boots, for a turkey, for the food in front of us. We give thanks for those visible things, which are appropriate. But I think we often forget to give thanks for the greater things, which are not visible things. But invisible things. And what you see here is this is the focus of the Apostle Paul's thanksgiving. The focus of the Apostle Paul's thanksgiving is not so much on visible things, it is on invisible things. Look at verse 3 through 5 with me. He says, We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope. Laid up for you in heaven. Here you see three things that are invisible gifts of God that the Apostle Paul gives thanks for. And these are actually expounded throughout this small letter of of Colossians faith five times, hope three times, and love five times. And so I want to take a minute just to look at these three invisible gifts of God that he has given to us that we should give thanks for. The first, Paul thanks God for the invisible gift of faith in Jesus. Look at verse 3 with me again. He says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Notice, this is very important. Paul is not giving thanks for a generic faith. He's not saying, I'm thankful that you just have faith. Faith, right? Faith in something. Faith that everything's going to turn out okay. No, their faith is on a specific object, or better say a specific person. I am thankful to God for your faith in Christ Jesus. Now, why is Paul giving God thanks for their faith? Shouldn't Paul be congratulating his readers on their faith? The answer is no, because Paul thanks God for their faith, because Paul knows that their faith is a gift from God. Ephesians 2.8 tells us very clearly, saying, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. You know, our hearts are so dead that they cannot produce faith any more than they can produce honey. Let me say again. Our hearts are so dead, so corrupt, so bent on sin that it cannot produce faith any more than our hearts can produce honey. And yet God, by his grace, has given this amazing gift of faith In Jesus Christ. Saving faith is manufactured in our hearts by God through the Holy Spirit. And so saving faith is a gift from God. Therefore, we give thanks to God. And so we thank God for the faith in Christ Jesus that he has produced in us and in his church by the Holy Spirit. Secondly, the second invisible thing that Paul gives thanks for is the love of saints. Look at verse 4 with me. He says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. And then skip down to verse 8 and it says, and, talking about Epaphras, and has made known to us your love in the spirit. Now this love is not a normal type of love. You know, we can love our our spouse, we can love our children, we can love our parents, we can love our friends, we can love those who love us back, we can love those who benefit us, but this is not the love that the Apostle Paul is talking about. The love that the Apostle Paul is talking about is this love that they have for people, for Christians, for brothers and sisters in Christ who they have never met and who probably can never benefit them. And he is thanking God for this supernatural love that God has put in their heart. This is common amongst the people of God, the true people of God, a love for the saints, for the brothers and sisters in Christ whom they had never met. You know, this is um, one of, my Well, let me back up real quick. You, you see this happening in, in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul, in his missionary journey, one of the things he's doing is he's collecting an offering to take to the persecuted and poor saints in Jerusalem. And so in Romans 15, he says, uh, at present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem, for they were pleased to do it. And then 2 Corinthians 8 He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. And then hear this. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. And so in the church of Macedonia, with great joy, even though they were a poor church, gave generously to help these brothers and sisters in Christ in Jerusalem, whom they had never met. This is a supernatural love, to love a stranger, but a brother and sister in Christ in that way. One of my proudest moments as your pastor was two years ago. If you remember, uh Haiti was going through some horrific political turmoil. And it was a humanitarian crisis. And one of the pastors of our denomination named Donnie St. Germain uh, had planted 16 churches in Haiti, uh, started up 43 schools for children, 10 children's homes, 5 medical clinics, and more. And he, he issued this cry for help uh, because children were starving, Uh, For some of them, they had not eaten in seven days because of the corruption and because of all the people uh, withholding the food from going to these children. And so they had a plan to sneak in containers, shipping containers of food, and sneak them to the children so that the children could eat in those Christian schools and orphanages and things like that. And so one container of food, one shipping container of food costs about $10,000 to get to those orphans. And so I heard this call and and I prayed. I prayed what I thought was a very audacious prayer. I said, Lord, I pray that we as a church could give ten thousand dollars to purchase a shipping container worth of food to send to these saints. In Haiti. And so I came before you. If you were here, you probably remember it. I shared this story. I said, you know, my hope, my goal, my prayer is that we can raise $10,000 to purchase all this food and send to these hungry children in Haiti. Well, if you remember, by God's grace, over the course of two to three weeks, we did not raise $10,000 as a church, but we raised $25,000. And then there was a matching donor in Illinois who doubled it. And so $50,000 worth of food came. And and I was thought as being presumptuous on God by asking for $10,000. See, there is only one way a church could possibly give sacrificially to Christians they do not know. And it's only if they have been transformed by the same grace of God that transformed the Macedonians. It's only if we have experienced a greater love that allows us to love others. First John 4 says we love because he first loved us. And so it is because we have experienced the glorious, sacrificial, unconditional love of God in Christ that we are able to go and love our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world whom we have never met. And so Paul, again, thanks God for these invisible gifts of God, these greater gifts of God. One being faith in Jesus, the second being love for saints, and the third being the hope in heaven. Let's read this here in its context. Look at with me at verse 3 through 5. He says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. And then here it is. Because of or on account of the hope laid up for you in heaven. The wording here is very interesting because hope is often an attitude, right? Like he says, other places, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard or Christ in you, the hope of glory. These are attitudes of hope. But here in verse five, attitude is not a, uh, sorry, hope is not an attitude. It is an object, like a pearl of great price or a precious coin or a treasure hidden in a field. Hope is an object For us, laid up in heaven. And so the question is what is this object? What is this treasure? And this hope for us is God Himself. God is the object of our hope and all the benefits that come as His children. And so who is this treasure for? Those who have received the gift of faith in Jesus Christ and experienced the generosity sacrificial love of God and it has uh, shown itself by throwing through us, by flowing through us. And as we are overwhelmed to love for God's Christ. So Christians, remember this Thanksgiving. God's greatest gifts are not the visible ones, but the invisible ones. Give thanks for both, but the invisible gifts are the greatest gifts. Henry Ward Beecher gives an illustration I think is very helpful. He says, if one should give me a dish of sand and tell me there were particles of iron in it, I may look for them with my eyes and search for them with my clumsy fingers and be unable to detect them. But let me take a magnet and sweep through it. And now would would it draw to itself the, the almost invisible particles by the mere power of attraction? He goes on to say, the unthankful heart, like my fingers in the sand, discovers no mercies, but let the thankful heart sweep through the day. And as the magnet finds the iron, so it will find in every hour some heavenly blessings. Christians, may our hearts be magnetized this week to detect the invisible blessings of God that we might overwhelm With thanksgiving for the faith we have in Christ, for the love of the saints, and for the faith in Jesus. So, who should we give thanks to? God. What should we give thanks for? Everything, especially the invisible gifts of God, of faith in Jesus, love for the saints, and the hope of heaven. Finally, why should we give thanks now? And really the who and the what of Thanksgiving doesn't matter so much unless we know the why of Thanksgiving, why we give thanks to God. Why should should people give thanks to God? Why should Christians be the most thankful people in all the world? Well, look with me at verse 5, the second half. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth. What is the truth? The gospel. The gospel. And so why is it that we should give thanks now? It is because there is something that is true. There is a gospel truth that is true. This word gospel means good news. And so there is true good news for you. And because there is true good news, true gospel news, this should lead us to thanksgiving. Now he focuses on two parts of this true gospel news that we should give thanks for. The first is that the the gospel truth is the simple truth. It is the simple truth of the gospel that he gives thanks for. You see, one reason that the apostle Paul is writing this letter to the Colossians is because false teachers have come in and they have said, listen, the gospel is too simple. It cannot be that simple. You have to add all these extra rituals and thoughts and processes and readings in order to really be accepted by God. You have to do all of these things. And so that's why in the second half of verse 6, Paul says, since the day you heard it, the gospel truth, and understood the grace of God in truth. He doesn't say since the years that you learned it. He doesn't say since the week that you heard it or the month that you studied it. But the day that you heard it, he could have said the moment that you understood it. Now you may be asking, what is the simple truth of the gospel? Well, I think it is most um, compactly communicated in 1 Corinthians 15 where it says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. The gospel of truth is so simple, a child can understand it. And yet it is so sophisticated and so deep that a theologian can spend their entire life studying it and barely scratched the surface. This is the simple truth of the gospel, that God loves sinners so much that he sent his son Jesus into the world to take on our sin, to die on the cross for our sins, to take that penalty of God's wrath that we deserve, and then to raise on the third day to give us newness of life. And then Jesus ascended into heaven where he is ruling and reigning and will come back again and make all things new, make all things happy again. This is the simple truth of the gospel, the, the wonderful, the glorious truth of the gospel, but also the deep truth of the gospel. And so he gives thanks for the simple truth of the gospel. I think a helpful way of understanding this is what's been called gospel math. I think we have it up here. But, but the equation kind of goes like this, is that gospel math is Jesus plus, that's not a minus, sorry, that's a dash there. But gospel math is Jesus plus Jesus. Anything equals nothing. So if you do Jesus plus my good works, Jesus plus baptism, Jesus plus communion, Jesus plus going to church, all of those are good things to do. Please don't hear me uh, say that they're not good. They're great things. They're things that you should do. But if it's Jesus plus any of these things, you end up with nothing. You end up with no salvation at all because it is Christ and Christ alone that saves you. And so that gospel math continues. And it's not only Jesus plus anything equals nothing, but if you could go to the next slide, that's hopefully there. There it is. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And so Jesus and Jesus alone is what brings salvation upon us. And so this is so simple, but so wonderful and so glorious that we are saved in Christ and Christ alone. And so Paul gives thanks for the simple truth of the gospel, but he also gives thanks for the victorious truth of the gospel. Look at verse 5 with me again, second half. He says, Of this you have heard before, and the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. The gospel truth is not only a simple truth, it is a victorious truth. And one way we know this is simply by looking at the cross of Christ. Did you know that, that Jesus didn't create the cross? That the that the cross was around about 500 years before the crucifixion of Christ. It was used by the Roman Empire and by the Babylonians to, to kill their political opponents. Uh, the, the, the cross was such a, a powerful symbol of agony and shame that the Roman Empire adopted it and used it frequently. Uh, It was used by the Roman Empire, but it was also used by the Persian Empire. And it was something that people looked at and shuddered in great fear and great angst. But here's the thing is that the Roman Empire and the Persian Empire were not the only empires to wield the power of the cross. Jesus wielded the power of the cross as well. You see, the simple gospel truth is this man, Jesus, who only taught for three years, wielded the power of the cross, not by killing his enemies on it, but dying on it for his enemies. That we, his enemies, could be reconciled to God. And you know what is just so amazing? Is that out of the Roman Empire, the Persian Empire, and the Christian Empire... Two of those you can only read about in history books, but one is alive and active and growing and victorious. If you know anything about the history of the world or the history of the church, you may know that corrupt people have been trying to kill the church in any way possible from inside and outside the church. And yet the empire of Christ is active and victorious today as it was in Paul's day when he wrote this letter. It has not ceased to bear fruit throughout the entire world. And so Christian, if you are struggling to believe the victory of the gospel, consider your own life. Consider what your life would look like without Jesus. I shudder to think how horrendous my life would be if I did not have Christ. If you have that same feeling in your own heart, it is a reminder that the victory of the gospel is not only throughout the world, but it is also in your own heart. And it is conquering more and more territory. It's bearing more and more fruit. And so the gospel truth is a simple truth. It is a victorious truth that is conquering our hearts and the world. And for that, we give thanks to God always. Let me end with this. Maybe you're here today and uh, you say, you know, Pastor Dan, thank you for this sermon on Thanksgiving, but I really don't have much to be thankful for. Uh, you know, my life hasn't turned out the way I want it, or my family's in shambles. I mean, Thanksgiving looks weird this year because of people's views on masks and vaccines, or, or, or there's, just, there's just tension, and we're divided, and we're broken up. And so I'm not really sure I have anything to be thankful for. But what I want to remind you of is this, is that the Apostle Paul who wrote the letter to the Colossians did not write this from a beach in Florida. He did not write this from a two-story house with a white picket fence with 2.5 children. Jesus did not write this from a coffee shop. The apostle Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians while he was in prison in Rome, awaiting for his trial and his death. And yet here Paul says, I always thank God. I always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul possesses a gratitude that cannot be compromised by his earthly suffering. A thankfulness that cannot be touched by his health, his finances, or his love life. And that same thankfulness is offered to us in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul also says in 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, Give thanks in all circumstances. And he means it. And it is possible because while our earthly circumstances may be good, it may be bad, the good news is that we have the invisible gifts of God that last forever, the greater gifts. We have faith in Jesus, the love of the saints, and the hope of heaven. And so no matter how bleak your situation is today or this Thanksgiving, if you trust in Christ for your salvation, you have an abundance An abundance of treasures to give thanks for. I want to end with just this quote. Um, I love this quote. It's a short quote, like seven words. You can probably write it down. Uh, It comes from an old Puritan. And I'll say it for you twice in case you're writing it down. This is what he says. He says, the thankful heart has a continual feast. The thankful heart has a continual feast. Feast. Some of you are here today and your soul is starving for more. This Thanksgiving, you may be looking forward to a feast for your belly, but God is offering to you a feast for your soul. Do you want a joy filled Thanksgiving, regardless of food fails and family fails? Remember the answers to these three questions. Who should we give thanks to? God, from whom all good gifts come. What should we give thanks for? Yes, the visible gifts, but also more importantly, the invisible, untouchable gifts of faith in Jesus, love of the saints, and the hope of heaven. And finally, why should we give thanks now for the boundless, victorious, simple truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ? What I want to do now is I just want to actually take a moment... To practice the sermon, to put the sermon into action. And so if I could have David come forward here and start playing music, we're just going to take a few minutes. You can look at your bulletin or just in your heart, spend time giving thanks to God for visible and for invisible things. And then I will close this in Thanksgiving in a little bit. Lord, I want to start by thanking you for this church. Uh, Trish and I often talk about how thankful we are for the love of the saints here for us. And I pray that they would receive our thanks, our love as well, Lord God. Lord, we're so thankful for a family of believers who we don't always get along. We don't always see eye to eye. We don't always agree with one another, Lord, but thankful for a family that loves one another, Lord. God, we also give thanks for the invisible gifts. We're thankful that you saw our dead hearts and you gave us faith in your son, Jesus Christ. We do not deserve it, but you have given it to us as a gift of your mercy, God. We are so thankful for the hope that we have in heaven, God. That as we walk through the trials of, of this world, we are reminded, Lord, that this is only temporary. This is only a vapor in the scope of all eternity. And that we have a certain hope in heaven, the hope of being with you, God. And we long for that day. Lord, we, uh, we come to you and we ask that, that this week specifically, that we would be a people that overflow with thanksgiving. That we would take time to give thanks, Lord. Uh, we, we confess that even in this, these, these, this 60 seconds to give thanks, we run out of things to give thanks for sometimes because we're just such an unthankful people. And so God, show us all the things that we have to give thanks for and let us overflow with thanksgiving that our souls may have a feast this week, Lord. Lord, as we turn to the table, we're reminded, we are reminded of your grace to us in Christ. We're reminded that that Christ died for our sins, that he sacrificed his body and his blood to draw us to yourself, that our souls can be satisfied in you. And so, Lord, let us receive these elements with thanksgiving and joy and celebration that you have given us the greatest gift of all. You have given us yourself. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.